Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. I mean, was I good or was I just a geek? What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. The cool monkey says I have to. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. I pay the bill, I'm checking the text. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. I had a very lamentable hairstyle in junior year. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we are talking about peer pressure. Under pressure. I'll have that song in my head all day after having this conversation. <laughs> but first, let's go to mailbag. Oh, yes. Wait a minute. Time for mailbag. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the mailbag. This is a fun mailbag from Kim via email. She says, totally random fangirl moment. I recently decided to rewatch Felicity to relive the moments from my college years. I was folding laundry and not looking at the screen when out of nowhere, my ears perked up and I thought to myself, is that Amy Wilson? Mind blown, worlds colliding. What an unexpected delight. Love the podcast. That is all. I love this. Amy, who did you play on Felicity? I actually, I've never seen Felicity, but I will go back and watch you now that I know you're on it. I was in two episodes. I had a scene with Felicity. Tangie Miller, who is one of the actresses in the show, she was having an affair with a professor. Okay. And I had also had an affair with the same professor. It was a very 90s look at sexual harassment. You were Felicity's aide. Oh, yeah. I'm picturing you as like the guidance counselor because I'm picturing current Amy. It's because I think that show is five years old. That show is like 20 years old. Well, okay. So I want to hear something crazy. The thing about Felicity, which is fascinating. By the way, guys, this episode is no longer about peer pressure. It is about Felicity. It is a Felicity recap episode. The part that I played wasn't that interesting. I was on two episodes. But the reason that I was playing that part is fascinating. I went in for a very large part to play the girlfriend of one of the guys in the show and didn't get it. And they threw me this as like a little consolation prize, this much smaller part. The girl who did get the part of the girlfriend, Jennifer Garner. Oh, Amy. Sliding doors. Sliding doors. I think I'll take it how it worked out for me. I mean, I love Jennifer Garner, but you know, she's had her struggles. So interesting. If you had gotten it, we would not have the What Fresh Hell podcast. So I just thank goodness for Jennifer Garner for nailing that audition, because otherwise I would be all alone talking into a mic by myself and you would be married to Ben Affleck or you would be divorced from Ben Affleck. Would have been. Yeah, exactly. Would be dealing with that. Correct. 
sliding doors. All right. Well, Amy, I guess now that we've done our Felicity recap and imagined a world in which you turn out to be Jennifer Garner, we need (laughs) to talk about peer pressure, which suddenly seems slightly less interesting, but let's give it a go. Well, yes. I wanted to start with definitions of exactly what peer pressure is. The dictionary, Merriam-Webster says, it's a feeling that one has to do the same thing as other people of one's age and social group in order to be liked or respected by them. Correct. And then Centerstone, they're somebody who actually works with adolescents with mental health and addiction struggles. They come at it from the point of view of the external force. They say peer pressure is an external force of influence on our decisions that might have an effect on our physical or mental health. I was listening yesterday to the Decoder Ring podcast, great podcast from Slate. It's the episode about fame, if you want to look it up. And they were talking about how they did all these studies with monkeys and they would put a Starbucks label and let's say Coca-Cola label. And next to the Starbucks label, they would put a picture of a high-status monkey, attractive, good monkey. And next to the Coca-Cola label, they would put a picture of a low-status monkey. And then (laughs) the monkeys had to press a button to get food. They got the same food, whether or not they pressed Starbucks or Coca-Cola, but they all pressed the Starbucks button because they wanted to be like the high-status monkey. This stuff goes deep. I read another study preparing for this. Mice would run faster if another mouse was watching (laughs) than if it wasn't. Like crazy, which is crazy stuff. This goes deep. I think it's always good to start with the biological imperative, as we love a biological imperative, because sometimes I think when we're dealing with our kids, we're like, who cares what Janie thinks? I get that her hair is shiny, but otherwise, why would you follow Janie around? That's lame and just cut it out. Mm -hmm. But we have to recognize that this stuff goes deeper than whether or not we think Janie is cool. Janie is just a high status monkey. And like we are wired to follow the high status monkey. Right. Janie is a high status monkey in a system that we as mom and dad are existing outside of. It is always interesting to me, like that kid is running the pre-K cloakroom. That kid decides who's cool in high school. Like, why do these kids get power? We don't understand it because we're standing outside it. Even when listening to the podcast, they took a couple of beats before they described what makes someone a high status or a low status monkey. And I was just cracking up between a how would you know which monkey is high status and low status? Right, right, right. But monkeys know and preschoolers know and fourth graders know and seventh graders definitely know. So this is a thing because as we start to individuate ourselves from our families of origin, as we do in sort of early adolescence, like tweendom, Your peers start to be more important than your families. We're wired that way, right? So that the species could perpetuate. And studies have shown that most risky behavior that adolescents participate in happens in the company of peers. And I will just go back because you said starts in middle school. It's an arc. So like it really starts in maybe pre-K, kindergarten, but it's like they're tipping into their peers being most important. But my younger kids, definitely. I mean, by second grade, they're figuring out who the high status monkeys are. What's funny you say that because there's some studies we can look at here that say it sort of, you know, sets in around 10 and I'm like, sets in at 10. I mean, yes, it becomes a big factor at 10, but I'm with you that the group think and this kid is cool and this kid isn't starts pretty early, but that's exclusionary. Maybe that's different from peer pressure, different from like, I have to act like this or I have to do these things, but I feel like they're kind of hand in hand. I just think it's an arc. You're getting more and more 
interested in your peers every year, but it doesn't mean you don't notice them when you're littler. But what's different about this age group is that studies have shown there's this guy named Lawrence Steinberg who kind of peer pressure is his thing. And he's proven that the presence of peers makes adolescents and youth more likely to take risks and make risky decisions, but not little kids or grownups. There's something that happens at this peak in this middle age. I think I can make sense of that in my mind. We had a guest on our show named Jess Shatkin, so I'll put a link in the show notes. He wrote a book that was all about how teenagers are wired to take risks. And I think it was called Born to be Wild and that we had to sort of understand that. So why do kids take more stupid risks because of peer pressure than they would when they're by themselves? Like, why is peer pressure a thing? There was a study. I thought this was pretty interesting. 2011, USC proved that the human brain places more value in winning in a social setting than it did on winning when you were alone. So they had people sit and play the lottery, right? They were playing the lottery alone and with other people. And they showed much higher activity in the prefrontal cortex when you beat somebody who was sitting next to you playing the lottery than when you won by yourself. That tracks 100%. That absolutely makes sense. Yes. And they said this prefrontal cortex, that's the part of the brain that's responsible for coding social rank in mammals' brains. That's how the monkeys know, I guess. (laughs) That's how the monkeys know. Yes. And you want to be at the top of the social ranking. And so the more you win, the higher you'll be in the social ranking. So the more risks you're going to take to keep winning, you'll become more of a risk taker as you keep winning. That's the biological imperative. That's why we take risks. There was also a fascinating part of this that they said that The monkeys who were the highest status monkeys had like stress-related heart disease. Like being the highest power monkey was extremely stressful because being the high status is another arc that it will bend. Like you cannot maintain high status forever, right? Like you'll get old, you'll get weak, a younger monkey will beat you in the race. So that being a high status monkey is an incredibly high stress position. And I think that goes for middle schoolers as well, right? Like being the, it's mean girls, right? Like being the queen bee takes so much work and it's so much pressure. Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Yeah, I was going to say, I was about to come in with, as Shakespeare wrote, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. So let's talk about what ages are most prone to this, because I'm kind of with you that this starts five. You start to see like, I need to wear this shirt because it's cool now. The early studies that showed that it like peaked at age 14 and did a quick decline, they were assuming that peer pressure meant antisocial behavior, like negative peer pressure. Like Peer pressure meant like I helped you graffiti the school wall. Right. Or smoking behind the school or whatever. That that's the only thing that exists is peer pressure. There's actually there's pro-social behavior. There's positive peer pressure. And we can talk about that. But like making you do something that you really shouldn't do because you might get in trouble is one kind of peer pressure. But it's not the only kind. It's one part of a much larger thing. Like I care what my peers think about how I look and how I behave, which is. 100% of teenagers. Right. Everyone glaring at you in the restaurant when your toddler is running around is peer pressure. Yes. That's pro-social behavior. And, you know, like I see it in my eighth grader, this feeling that, I mean, I remember well from being that age that like everybody's looking at me. Everybody will think this. Everybody's going to think this is weird if I do this. Like everybody's going to think nothing. They're going to (laughs) be... Sitting in class, taking notes. You know what I'm saying? Like that's something little that you do. If you show up in different shoes on Tuesday, that it's going to be like, stop the presses. And who am I to say that a kid that age is wrong for thinking that? We do, adolescents at that age, do create drama out of absolutely nothing. 
Is it true, I'm just thinking out loud, that the range of acceptable behavior is much narrower at this age. As an adult, the range of acceptable behaviors is fairly wide. But at a fine dining restaurant, right, the range of acceptable behavior is very narrow. I wonder if there's something about like in middle school, the range, I mean, in my middle school, the range of acceptable behavior was like wearing one of literally three outfits (laughs) that like was predetermined by I don't know who, Oversized Benetton rugby, skinny jeans, like that was the only acceptable. And those Adidas shoes, Stan Smith's with the green stripes on them. Oh, really? Yeah. Those didn't make, I mean, I like those now. I didn't know about those back in high school. They were huge when I was younger. So yeah, I think maybe that there's a, the definitions of acceptable are extremely limited at these ages. But that peer pressure is, it's not just negative stuff. Like you or I, we've talked about ourselves in high school. Neither one of us would have been graffitiing the high school. Correct. But that doesn't mean that you and I weren't susceptible to peer pressure. We totally were. It's just, it's a much wider definition. Yeah. I think for maybe me, I don't know if this is true enough for you. I never smoked or did drugs in high school because nobody offered me. Like (laughs) I was not at a party. Like nobody invited me anywhere where there would have been anything cool happening. And so I was to some degree, I was free of peers, thus free of peer pressure. (laughs) That's how I rolled in high school. Right. Well, Temple University did a study where they separated this out, right? They separated out susceptibility to peer pressure from willingness to engage in antisocial behavior. So they they talked to good girls like us, not just like, have you ever smoked? Are you susceptible to peer pressure? It's like, I mean, was I good or was I just a geek? It's hard to say. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) Right. And they showed that resistance to peer influences starts to set in around age 14, that peer influences are at their peak around them, but so your ability to resist them starts to also set in around age 14, like 14 to 18 is the greatest growth in being able to stand up for yourself and resist peer pressure. We almost don't have the ability to do that before age 14. We are a lot better at that by 18. And then it kind of stays the same. It doesn't like continue to get better. It's something that we learn to do between 14 and 18. This study argued, which I thought was pretty interesting. I have a question for you about peer pressure that I want to pose after this break. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. 
Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back. Amy, I do look at my kids and I wonder if our kids' generation has a wider definition of acceptability than our generation did and is therefore peer pressure less. I think so. I'm sure you've seen that viral video of a Florida high school having like an anti-don't-say-gay rally after school. Have you seen this? The entire high school is outside saying, we say gay, we say gay, including the jocks that you're like, don't you push kids in lockers? Maybe they don't anymore. I saw that and it gave me hope for the future. And I think that there probably is a wider range of acceptability, but there's still, you know, vaping and alcohol and stuff like that that kids do feel pressured to take part in. Yeah, I think maybe this might fall in the category of every generation thinks like, oh, this is really different now and it can't be different. Like if the monkeys like the high status monkey best, this will ever be. And there's also an element of this that emerges really clearly. I see it with my kids that they're starting as teenagers to start dealing with we're not friends with him or there's like a game where the kids they have screen names and now they add a certain signifier to the screen names to indicate that they are part of this gaming group right Mm -hmm. which seems kind of fun like it's like on peloton or whatever oh i'm part of the rider peeps or whatever group you're part of it's a fun idea but almost immediately it becomes you're not allowed to use that signifier you're not really in our group you're going to be stripped of your signifier because you're out or we're going to change the signifier without telling so-and-so because it really is a war about like who's controlling who's in and who's out That's rough. And I remember feeling pressure. I mean, like sort of bullying and exclusion is not the same as peer pressure, but they are related because I remember being in eighth grade and feeling the pressure to like, we got to lose this kid, like got to lose the dead weight, throw her overboard, then we'll be cool. And I was like, hmm, it's not very nice, but I do need to get ahead. But I'm sorry, I got to leave you behind on the road because you, my only chance of survival. Right. The cool monkey says I have to. It's the old joke where the guy puts on tennis shoes when they see a bear and he's like, you can't outrun a bear. And the guy turns and says, I only have to outrun you. And it's like, that's it. Like, <laughs> Like that's the social hierarchy. I got to leave you behind, Florence. I'm sorry, but like this is my one shot at the big time. Like I get that we've been friends since preschool, but you got a weird haircut and now I've got to cut you loose because I, I'm clinging to the lifeboat of popularity with all I have. Going back to what you said about, is it different now than it used to be? I thought this was pretty interesting. The things that we think kids feel pressured about, we might be getting a little bit wrong. Okay. So there was a study in 2019 Pew Research Center. So 2019 pre-pandemic. So the pressures of the pandemic are not listed on here as the things that they feel pressured about. But the top peer pressure that kids said they felt was academics. 
the academic pressure, the pressure to get good grades and to do as well as your peers and get ahead was the number one thing that they reported feeling pressure about. That seems strange to me. It's also like, who are you studying? There's a lot of factors in that study. Well, it's an external force of influence on your decisions that might have an effect on your physical or mental health. It is. But I think a lot of that pressure is societal, where you live, your parents. Like, I think there's a lot that goes into academic pressure. But this was a pretty wide ranging, you know, I knew that you were going to be like, "Mm, I don't know about that. Gimlet Eye Margaret is going to be like, "Mm, I don't know. But this one they did, like they were very thorough. I'll put the link in the show notes to look at like different socioeconomic groups and different race and things. So they did look at that. The something that was interesting is that girls versus boys, that girls are more likely to feel peer pressure, that a third of girls said they faced a lot of pressure to look good. And only 23% of boys said they did. Yeah, that's not surprising. I definitely that tracks for me. Yeah, my son at an all boys high school can pretty much just there's no reason to run a comb through your hair. Just go. No, I have to pressure my teens on basic hygiene. Like uh, they're definitely not feeling the pressure to like do a full blow dry in the morning and put false eyelashes on. I'm like, you actually smell repellent. Like, please do something about it. So girls care about that more than boys. Yeah. Fitting in socially is something they feel pressure about, which I think it's interesting because we're like, you do all these things to fit in socially. But right, fitting in socially is what you feel the pressure about. It isn't like, I feel pressured to smoke. It's like, no, I feel pressured to fit in. And so whatever your peer group is doing. To me, that as I remember my childhood, fitting in socially was like 98% of the pressure I felt. Right. Looking good, I felt maybe was not in my wheelhouse, but I still felt pressure to do. (laughs) Like, I didn't think it was achievable to look like the girls I went to high school with. Those and then academic pressure. I associate that with my family, academic pressure. I don't associate my peers with putting academic pressure on me, but maybe I misremember it. Well, the college, you know, getting into college and getting into a good college and, you know, that rat race has gotten significantly crazy upped. And then being good at sports, about 20% said that they feel pressure to be good at sports. I felt pressured whenever sports were involved because I was terrible at them, but I didn't feel pressure to be good at sports. Fitting in so it's a web, right? Like all of these things are part of a constellation of things that they're not really counting the word popular here. Mm-hmm. Because like sports in my kids' school, in my school, in every school I've ever known, the sports see kids are the most popular, right? The best looking kids are the most popular, the kids who look the best. And then often the kids who are academically achieving. I think of a lot of peer pressure around high status monkey stuff. Like, are you the high status monkey in your middle school? Yes. And I also think with boys, the differential between looking good is less than girls because girls' appearance is so much more malleable, right? Like, to look good as a girl, like you dye your hair, you wear makeup, you wear really fashionable clothes. To look good as a boy, you have a handsome face or not, basically, and like you're in good shape or not. Right. You know, there's not as many variables in how you look good as a boy. Right. And I suppose that, you know, that's changing as kids play with gender and who's allowed to wear makeup or grow their hair out or whatever. But you're right. Boy is like, I'm big or I'm not. Like, I wish I was taller. Right. And a girl is like, 
yeah, she can always try one more hairstyle <laughs> and attempt to be. I had a very lamentable hairstyle in junior year. Oh, you have to try to find that picture of you and put it up online. It's your prom picture, isn't it? Uh, I'm not sure the word to make. Well, my prom hair was terrible. I had, you know, like late 80s hair. So it was terrible. But I didn't know that it was terrible, except for this one style that even like when I had it, I think was pretty terrible. I famously did the... um brought a picture of a gorgeous model from a magazine with a really short curly hairdo and I got a short hair perm and I look like Tina Fey in the throwbacks <laughs> from 30 Rock. Like picture a short permed haircut on like a 14 year old girl. So many perms. I looked like I was a Saturday Night Live sketch of an old lady. Like that's the hairdo that I had. So I have some good news, though, underneath all of this, because we would assume going in, we have a lot of listeners with young kids that clearly the problem with peer pressure is drugs and alcohol, vaping and smoking. Like, that's why it's a problem. Yeah, bad behavior. Sure. Yes. So in this study in 2019, half of teens said, yes, drug addiction and alcohol consumption is a problem for kids. And clearly it is a problem for a lot of kids. But only one in 10 said they felt peer pressure. 4% they said they felt pressured to use drugs. 6% said they felt pressure to drink alcohol. These are way lower than what one might think. Our kids in high school aren't being offered joints all day, every day. And it's just like great, you know, difficulty of their lives. How do they fend off this peer pressure? They see it around them. They don't necessarily feel pressured to participate, according to the study. I don't know what to make of that. Which is a good thing. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly, as I've mentioned, not a problem for me. I was talking to one of my kids yesterday about health class. And I was like, oh, are they talking about, you know, sex and puberty? And he's like, no, it's mostly making posters about different types of drugs and why you shouldn't do them. <laughs> I was like, uh, I'm not sure that's educationally sound. Like that, like they're just cutting out pictures of meth and putting them on a poster board and writing like don't next to it. I'm not sure if that's the way to go. Jess Leahy wrote The Addiction Inoculation. She's a friend of ours. It's a great book if this is something that's interesting to you. And we have a fresh take with her that you can go back and listen to. Yeah, it's actually not on that book, but it's a great book. So I took a look at what Jess had to say about peer pressure and alcohol and drug use. Studies show that the number one factor in a kid using drug and alcohol is having peers who do it. Like if your friends do it, you're more likely to do it, which is, I guess, different from the pressure thing. If they're not feeling pressured, maybe they're not feeling pressured. You smoke because your friend smokes. You drink beer because your friend drinks beer. But Jess, you'll love this because she flips the study on its head. She says, yes, it's true. The kids are more likely to use substances if they hang around with other kids that use substances. But it's also possible that kids who are more likely to use substances find other kids who are like that in the first place. Yeah. Go Jess Leahy, because that's exactly what I was going to say. It's not necessarily cause, it's correlation. Right. And she talks in the book about how, you know, when your kid, say you have a kid who is getting in trouble and you're dealing with it as you should as a parent, it's sort of comforting as a parent to be like, well, if only, if only you'd never met that kid Bryce, you know, like it's Bryce's fault that you did this, you know, got arrested, <laughs> whatever it is. Poor Bryce. But your kid wanted to be friends with Bryce, right? Exactly. It isn't necessarily Bryce's fault, that it's a natural instinct for us to be like, our kids would have been fine if it wasn't from this insane amount of peer pressure that finally, you know, cracked them. Like Giles Corey in the Crucible when they keep putting weight on his, like, he won't confess to being a witch. 
That's a deep cut, Amy. Not everyone out there is like, oh, yeah, Giles Corey from The Crucible. And they kept putting more weight on him because they wanted him to confess. And it was like, more weight. And they keep putting more stones on him until he like is crushed to death. So Bryce is doing that to your kid. I mean, I think you need to update your references, Amy. I love you, but like <laughs> find a Marvel movie where something like this happens. Come on, The Crucible. Then and now, if we're talking about high school, who doesn't read The Crucible in high school? That's true. You're still reading The Crucible. Right? So anyway, I thought that was pretty interesting that it's possible for your kid to avoid this stuff, but the friends they are choosing, there might be some agency in that more than we think. I think we should move to some solutions and how we can help kids resist peer pressure. Amy, let's do that after the break. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model. So that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Get Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And now, your guide to spring cleaning. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Take a Saturday morning and put all the coats, mittens, and boots carefully away into storage. Then on Monday, there will be an unexpected cold snap and you will take it all out again. You'll do this like four times. Consider it your exercise for the month. Don't forget to clean up under the couch cushions. 
You'll mostly find half-eaten snacks, but there is also a chance you'll find the TV remote that's been missing since October. Change up your bed linens for the new season. Except for the ones on the top bunk, that one never gets changed. They just stay there until the kids head off to college. Cull your wardrobe. Get rid of those tired items. And by items, we mean yoga pants. And pick out some bold new pieces. And by pieces, we mean yoga pants. Clean out the fridge. Seriously, you need to clean out the fridge. There's a peach in there from like 16 months ago. This has been your guide to spring cleaning. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. I do think there's a bit of a dilemma for parents here in terms of like, I don't want you exposed to peer pressure. Therefore, I'm going to try to control who you're friends with, who I think is engaging in bad behavior. And I think that can be a really tough call in a million different ways. A, you're sometimes judging it wrong. You know, I felt sometimes, especially in high school, that the bad kids were like the misfit kids and that some of the really popular kids were actually up to a lot more shenanigans. Yes, the kind of peer pressure, drinking, smoking, drug use, your kids are more susceptible to if they're around kids engaging in that behavior. But A, it's hard to know who's doing that. And B, it's a little tricky to be like, I don't want you to be friends with those kids. They're bad. Jess Leahy says that what we need to do is to equip our kids with the skills they need to stay safe and healthy no matter who they hang out with. Mm, I like that. Yeah, because I mean, I'm thinking back, like, did I just get lucky? Did I just not have, you know, friends and neighbors who are taking part in risky behaviors? I mean, I think I was kind of a good girl and I would have sought out the other well-behaved, high-achieving students anyway, but I'm, you know, I'm not sure. Karen Hasselman, she's a school-based therapist. She says that peer pressure is just about boundaries, that it's just setting boundaries for kids and that they find it even harder to set boundaries than we do as adults because they want people to like them, right? Like, I think that's what's different about adolescents and adults. Do you like me? Do you think I'm weird? Like, worried about what other people think? That's at its peak at this age. And I have said this before, and I will say it again, because it is the one thing that I really believe is true. Not the one thing. You can't get pizza from a Chinese restaurant. You'd be much happier if you knew how little other people thought of you. I got a million of them, guys, but this one is important. My parents would be the great gift in high school of setting really firm boundaries for my behavior. Mm -hmm. Because I've said before, the one time I went to a high school party, I ended up like illegally driving a bunch of lacrosse players around because they asked me to. I didn't have a license. Like it was so outside of my character. I didn't have a character. I was like a mushball, goofy loser who the second a lacrosse boy asked me to do something, I was like, okay. Right. I mean, I had no sense of self. I think in general, it is best to keep your kids close while they are young and set really firm boundaries. Yeah. I just think that unless your kid has a really strong character, being out in the woods with a bunch of drunken teenagers when they're 15 and 16 years old, I can't see the upside of it. Not allowing your kids to be in high peer pressure situations when they're too young to have those boundaries for themselves. Listen, 
Some people will argue, and I've heard this before, right? If you're like crazy, like your curfew is 9 p.m. and you can never go anywhere, your kid's going to sneak out. You have to find a balance here, but I think it's really important to hold off. By the time I was in college, I was a lot more ready to be like, yeah, I don't do that actually, but thanks. Yeah. Well, 14 is different than 15. 15 is different from 18. You know, I have a 14, 17, and 19-year-old right now, and a teenager isn't a teenager, right? I'm trying to say there's like six stages, and you can say, I have said to my 14-year-old, like, you were too young for that. 14-year-olds don't do that. 14-year-olds aren't ready to do that. I've said that to more than one of my kids when they were 14. And that's just true. And then once they get older, Jess Leahy's book is actually full of, you know, she's talking about more like high school aged that sort of clamping down and like, you may not do this. You have to stay home all the time. It, It does get harder as they get older. But what's impossible to ask of them is that in these situations, they say, you know, I don't believe in that. I just say no to drugs and alcohol. Like like to try to give them that is not going to work. They're not going to do that because what their peers think of them is more important than what their parents think of them. Their prefrontal cortex isn't formed yet. So if the lacrosse boy thinks you're cool, you've won the next 60 seconds and that's all you're thinking that's all about. You care about. You're not thinking about what's going to happen when you crash your mom's car and you don't have a license. One thing that I do think helps with this, and this isn't avoidable, like my parents did a lot of right things and I was still driving the lacrosse boys around with no license on the one night I went out. I mean, it's hard to, (laughs) you're not going to get this 100% right. It's a slippery slope. But I think it's also very important to put a very fine point on this. So in our town, we have a little walking town so the kids can walk into town after school. And one thing I always say is you can walk into town with your friends. They start pretty young like 10 years old, you know, I give them some money, but you better be following these six rules. You're not allowed to walk with your phone on. You're not allowed to be rude to anybody in town. If you go to the pizza place, you're not allowed to disturb other people's meals by being foolish. Sometimes I'm out and about happenstantially, and sometimes I do a pop-in inspection and I pretend I was out and about. I saw one of my kids walking across the street, looking at their phone, pulled over, get in the car. We're going home. You're not allowed to do that. And you're not going into town for five weeks or whatever. I think you can really be clear about your expectations. You can go to this party, but I'm going to find out if there are parents there. And guess what? Your teen is going to scream and yell at you and act like you're the worst person alive. But bring it, kid. I'm going to find out if there's a parent there. I'm not sending you to a party where there's no parents around. I'm not doing it. So hate me if you want, I guess. But also, I mean, where I live, it's like, I got to drive you there. So it's up to me whether or not you're really going. But I think you can loosen those restrictions as they get older. My kids sometimes will say to me, there's a part of our house where there's a window that I can look into and see what's going on in the living room. Mm -hmm. And my kids have yet to figure this out. And they're like, you know old now. But I will occasionally be like, I told you not to eat in the living room and I'm in the kitchen and they don't understand that I can see them through this weird little reflection. And they just think that I'm all powerful. And like, I'm keeping that going for as long as possible. Yeah. It's actually a good thing for kids. The stuff that Jess Leahy suggests that we arm our teenagers with is less, you can do it. You don't need them as friends. Like none of that is useful. But to say, you can say, throw me under the bus all you want. My mom is crazy and she'll ground me for like a year if she knew I was doing that. So I can't. Or, you know, I'm allergic to alcohol. Like the things she suggests arming kids with are these sort of get out of jail free cards that are a lot of sort of blaming the parent. My mom won't let me or I actually have to be home in half an hour. And your kid needs to be able to get out of the situation without asking them to do something that is very, very hard for them to do in a time when seeking their peers approval. That is impossible. Right. Yeah. And I think you start that early. Like I know with my 
kids' phones, I always say to them, you better tell every, you know, creepy little friend of yours that I read all of your texts. And if I see something that comes in on text that I don't like, I will jump on that text thread. And I know some of their friends give them a hard time about it. Like, you're too old to have your mom checking your texts. I pay the bill. I'm checking the texts, you know? Yeah. No, they're not too old. Yeah. You don't have privacy on a phone that I pay for. I'm not trying to find out who you like. But if I see nonsense going on in the text thread, and listen, it changes. The teenage boys, they text a lot of like bodily function jokes and kind of sex adjacent stuff. Fine. I'll roll my eyes and be like, real mature goofballs. But if it's beyond that, the friends know. And it's fine. Like, I'm the bad guy. Y'all can talk about how annoying I am, but it does give my kid an out for not being able to deal or get out of a text thread. Because the other thing I tell my kids all the time is like, these things last. You don't want to have texts on your phone that are inappropriate. You don't want to have texts on your phone that are offensive or anything else because you don't know who's going to see that. And then you're in that situation. You don't want to be the kid in the woods where something bad happens. You know, we just had an incident at a local school where it was clearly a giant group thing and it's incredibly ugly and stupid. And I bet a lot of those kids were pretty peripheral to it, but they didn't stop and say, this can't happen. The other thing that I think is important to think about when you're sort of thinking like what works and how am I going to create a kid who has a little more Teflon about this stuff is to give them independence when you can. I'm not saying like, I will never read your texts, but letting them make their own decisions, letting them have independence, letting them express their individuality. Like we should lean into that stuff because that is actually going to give them greater, earlier resistance to peer pressure. I want to go back to this Lawrence Steinberg who studies peer pressure. He suggests that this is when it kind of ends, that he says the peer influence is a developmental phenomenon that's bounded by individuation from parents at its onset, right? So they're starting to worry about their peers more than us. That's when it starts. And when you've developed a sense of identity, that's when that over-reliance on what your peers think comes to an end. Mm. And you can't like rush it. Every 16-year-old is going to wonder what their peers are thinking. But you can create a kid that has their own head on their shoulders by rewarding opportunities for them to do so, by rewarding them when they do do so. And that makes sense to me. That's something that's positive besides, here's five things to say when somebody hands you a solo cup. You know, I think that's one approach, right? And the other approach is just to reward our kids for thinking for themselves and taking steps towards individuality. That's right. And I do want to emphasize that because what I'm saying about boundaries, it doesn't mean you like lock them in their room until they're 18. You try to keep them out of situations that you know the water's too deep for them. They're really in over their heads. But you let them walk into town. One example I use all the time is at the town pool. I never discipline my kids. I let the other parents or the lifeguards discipline them. So if they're splashing and another mom's like, you guys cut it out, that's a learning for them that doesn't come from me. And sometimes they'll come down and be like, another mom yelled at us because we were roughhousing around her baby. I'm like, good. Right. That's what happens. Like you can't act a fool at the playground. Natural consequences. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not about locking them away. It's about letting them in water that is safe for them, that is just deep enough for them, you know, and not throwing them in the super deep end of like they're in at a bonfire in the woods with a bunch of other teenagers when they're too young for that. Well said. Well, I think as usual, we've solved it. Solved it, guys. No more problems with peer pressure. Just cross it off your list. We're all (laughs) set. This one really did it for you. Friends, we're going to peer pressure you now. Your What Fresh Hell podcast hosts want you to check out 
our podcast, Toddler Purgatory. Toddler Purgatory is all of the fun and laughs and fun of What Fresh Hell, but it's all for kids under six. Join hosts, yeah. Blair and Molly, as they explore all the topics. Not peer pressure, because their kids are blissfully too young for peer pressure. Kind of, I hope. Yeah. Right? They've got other problems. Yeah, I think <laughs> they are. Believe me, they've got a lot of other problems. Don't worry about that. It's all little kid problems over at Toddler Purgatory. Find Toddler Purgatory wherever you listen to podcasts or go to toddlerpurgatory.com to check out all of their episodes. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talked to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk, and let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.